The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Sovereign God, give Him glory this morning. You can be seated. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 40. We're going to cover a lot of ground this morning. But there's seven principles, I think, as I look in this portion of the life of Joseph where he has been, we know he was sold into slavery by his brothers. He had served in Potiphar's household. He had been falsely accused, and Pharaoh throws him into the jail uh, where he is going to serve some time now in that. And, and we see him, even in the midst of this, how he seems to persevere in faith. He perseveres in faith under unjust trials. Now, some of us have faced unjust trials, trials that we go through, not of our own making whatsoever, but possibly of what someone has done or what something hasn't done. And if you have not gone through one of those trials, let me encourage you, you will at some point in your life. Now, does that make you feel good? Feel good. We see how throughout church history, it seems as, as though believers who trusted in Christ have suffered unjust trials, but you may not be going through an unjust trial right now. You may just be going through a trial, and some of the principles that we're going to see in this passage apply, whether it's an unjust trial or a trial that's just a circumstance of life. When I think about through history and the early believers who endured persecution and faced trials into incredible ways that oftentimes, many times, even led to their death, their, their execution because they had a trust in Christ. And I look at church history in America, and this last week I was looking at some individuals throughout church history who have faced unjust persecution in the midst of trials, as well as I was looking to try to gain a greater understanding of the day that we recognize now as Juneteenth. And it was the emancipation of slaves during that dark period of our nation where they were declared emancipated. And finally, the last who had been held in captivity and bondage to slavery in Texas were set free, and we recognize that day. But I came across a man in early church history in the 18th century by the name of Gowan Pamphlet. I remembered when I was in Williamsburg of hearing the story of, of Gowan Pamphlet, and it was played out uh, by a character. And I can remember the resonating words that Gowan Pamphlet had expressed during that. It was a man that was born in 1748. An African man born in the States in 1748, and he was enslaved by a tavern worker there in Williamsburg. But it was sometime during that period that probably as a result of the great awakening in America that was to later come and the revivals that were taking place in Europe... Gowan Pamphlet came to trust and know Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. And while he had not been emancipated yet, he recognized and realized that he was free from the greatest thing that every human being is enslaved to and in bondage to, and that is sin and death. And he found liberty on that day when he trusted Christ for his salvation. Can anybody say amen to that? 
Shortly after that, he was called by the Lord to to begin to proclaim the gospel. And there in Williamsburg, he would begin to bring uh, other slaves out away from the city and would hold services to where his church grew to some 500 individuals. And this made the residents of Williamsburg nervous because any time there was that gathering of that many slaves, they, they feared a takeover or insurrection that would arise. But God used this man to proclaim the message that was primary as I read his message was that there is only one race and that is the human race. And all of the human race has been created in the image of God and needs a relationship with the heavenly father so that they can be set free from their sin and punishment thereof. Can you say amen to that? He's known as the first African-American or first black pastor, and he was a Baptist pastor. (laughs) I just had to throw that in there. Later, as a result of his faithfulness, where he served both upward, and it seems as though he served downward. He served uh, even under, under slavery. He served those who had indentured him as a slave, and he also served those who were his peers and those in that rung that were lower than him in that sense. And in 1793, God saw that He was now finally delivered and he was emancipated long before the Emancipation Proclamation. But the key in that is that he recognized and realized that while he might be suffering under unjust trials, that he learned to have perseverance and faith in God and as a believer recognized and realized that the greatest message that he could proclaim was the freedom that we can find in our Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody should say amen to that. I find some parallels in Joseph's life in chapter 40 as he served not only Pharaoh faithfully, he served the jailer faithfully, so he served those that were above him, and then he served those that were below him because the jailer had placed him in a place of prominence within the prison. Now, that's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? Prominence in the place of prison. But one of the key things I find in Joseph's life is how he persevered in faith under trial, and he continued to do what God had called him to do. Look at verses 1 to 4 in chapter 40. We're gonna, I'm going to briefly go through this whole chapter and a little bit of the next chapter, and then I'm going to make seven quick comments on how we can apply these very things in our lives. Follow me with verse 1. He said, uh, the writer begins, sometime after this, that is after he had been thrown into prison, probably about a two-year period of time where he was placed over the cupbearer and the, the baker who had been thrown in prison, sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their Lord, the king of Egypt. Now, the writer doesn't tell us what kind of offense they had committed against the king, but in that day, it could be anything. It could have been that the baker may have burned his toast. It may have been that the coffee was a little weak when he brought it to the king, but nevertheless, there was offense, and Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he, and he attended them. They continued for some time 
in custody. Now, again, we don't know what the circumstances were. We don't understand why they were thrown in there, but these were two high-ranking officials, actually, in the king's court. There was the baker and there was the cupbearer. And the reason that they were high-ranking and they were trusted, they were some of the most trusted individuals in the king's court that there could be because the baker prepared all of the king's food. And it was customary in that time that oftentimes if there was going to be a coup or an assassination attempt against the king or the pharaoh, that it would come through either the food or the cup. And the cupbearer would bring whatever beverage it would be for the king. And oftentimes the cupbearer, to show that there was nothing in the drink that was going to poison the king, would drink it himself. So these were two very close individuals. Now, I want you to notice the phrase that this begins with. It says, sometime after this. Now, this is going to be a repeated, repeated phrase. Sometime after this. It makes me think of you and I oftentimes that we are in trials. One of the things that does not come along with trials that come into our life is a time frame of how long they're going to last. Sometimes trials are momentary. And sometimes trials are for a long period of time. And sometimes trials are to the very end of one's life. I think of the Apostle Paul. We don't know exactly what the affliction was that Paul had, but Paul asked God three different times, God, would you please take this affliction away from my body? His affliction, we believe, was a physical affliction. But God told Paul three times, my grace is sufficient for you. And oftentimes when you and I are going through trials in our life, whether they be just or unjust trials, we may ask the question, God, would you please take this away? God, how long is this going to last? But God may say, listen, I'm wanting you to learn of my grace and it's necessary for you to be in this trial so that you may understand and know my overwhelming grace in your life, not just in the point of salvation, but my grace that is necessary in every day in your life as a Christ follower. Some may be delivered, others may not. So let me give you hope this morning. If you're going through a trial, you may be delivered in just a very short while. On the other hand, God may say, my grace is sufficient for you. And the greatest thing that we could ever learn and know is the love, the mercy, and the graces of God. I heard someone say to me one time who had a terminal illness of cancer, and I was there with them and sharing with them how much I, I wish that God would deliver them. And their response to me was, I'm glad that he hasn't because I have learned more of the grace and the mercy and the love of God through this than I could have any other way. You see, God is always working out something greater in our life. You and I think of a temporal working out in this time and in this place, but but God is an eternal God, and God is working in us to conform us to the likeness of Christ so that he, we might know him more. Now, let's pick up in verse 5. He says, now, one night they both dreamed, that is, the baker and the cupbearer, uh, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. 
Now, when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled, and he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, he asked, why are your faces so downcast? And they said to him, we have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. Now, this is not the first instance that Joseph has had dreams. You remember the dream uh, of the she's bowing down. And you remember the dream that he shared with his father and his brothers. And so this is not an uncommon thing to Joseph. He's familiar with dreams. But notice he says, don't the interpretations belong to God. You see, Joseph recognized that this was a dream that had been given from God. It was not a dream that you and I or Harold have when you eat too much pepperoni pizza for dinner. It's one of those dreams, and people ask oftentimes, does God still speak in dreams? And I see no indication to show us that he doesn't. But we have to be careful and understand and discern that, that there are specific things. And Joseph recognized that this was a dream from God. But notice what he says here. Do not interpretations belong to God. Now, The truth is, God may not always give us the details as to why we are facing a trial. God certainly, most of the time in my life, doesn't give me details of how long the trial is going to be. God doesn't give me details of what's going to happen next in the trial. And sometimes we often know that trials seem to come in threes. (laughs) God whines. Now, sometimes it can be that I've done a boneheaded thing and I'm suffering the consequences of my boneheaded action. I know none of you are boneheaded like I am, so you don't suffer trials because of your boneheaded actions. But we often do. Amen to that? But sometimes there are trials that have nothing to do with us whatsoever. And we ask God. God may not always give us the details. Sometimes he will. Sometimes he won't. But one thing that we can be assured of in the midst of those trials is that God is always working through and in the circumstances of our life. Number one, to glorify him if we respond properly to that trial. He's always working through those so that he might be glorified, and he's working through those those trials so that you and I might be more conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Now, notice I said that it depends on how we respond to those trials in our lives. I've come to the point in life to recognize and realize that I have control over absolutely nothing in my life. The only thing that I have control over, the only thing that you have control over in your life is how we respond to those things. And as a follower, a believer in Christ, he gives us the way that we're to respond in those trials and their circumstances. I was sharing with someone this last week as I was counseling with them that one of the greatest prayers that I have ever come across and learned in my life is that prayer called the serenity prayer. I'm not really sure who it was attributed to originally, and nobody, I don't think, really knows. But here's the way the prayer goes. God, grant me to accept, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot 
change. That's hard, isn't it? God, grant me the courage to change the things that I can. And God, grant me the wisdom to know the difference between the two. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God. Would somebody please grab me my water bottle and bring it to me? Romans chapter 11, verse 33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. You know what I find oftentimes in my life? I find that sometimes I think I'm just as smart as God. But there are things that only God knows. And those are the things that we need to understand or we need to understand that those things are there and it's in those times that we have to trust in the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Look at verses 9 to 19. So the chief cupbearer told him his dream to Joseph and he said, in my dream there was a vine before me and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth and the clusters ripened into grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, and I pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup on Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly you were his cupbearer. Only remember me, underline that phrase, only remember me when it is well with you and please do not, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so, uh, and so get me out of this house. He wanted him to mention to Pharaoh that, hey, this guy helped me out. This guy interpreted and in a desire to possibly be released. Verse 15, for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that should put me in the pit. In the pit. Now, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uttermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. Parentheses, it reminds me of that movie, The Birds. You ever remember that one? Some of you younger folks need to look that up and listen to it. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head, he said, from you and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh. I would not want to be the cupbearer. It's maybe one of those times where he says, you know, I wish I hadn't asked the question. It would be better not to have asked and and not known. You see, as Joseph is interpreting these dreams, he recognizes that the dreams were from the Lord. Now, Oftentimes, again, God will not always give us the details in our trials. God will not always reveal to us as he did Joseph in this situation. But one thing we can be sure of and confident in, that when we face trials, and this is the first thing that we should do when we face a trial, we need to ask God for wisdom. James repeated in that. When you're facing those trials, he said, ask God who gives wisdom liberally. 
Now, I love the definition of wisdom. Wisdom is applied biblical knowledge skillfully in our lives. The other thing that that we see that God will give is faith, perseverance, discernment, and endurance. And here he gives all of that to Joseph as he interprets the dream. Now, pick up in verse 20. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He lifted up both their heads. It's kind of a play on words. He lifted up the cupbearer's head in honor, but he lifted up the baker's head to dishonor. Which head would you want to be in this situation? So it says, he lifted up the heads and he restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted them, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but he forgot him. Sometimes we can feel as though God has forgotten us, can't we? God, where are you? God, can't you see that I'm in the middle of this? God, can't you see what I think is about to happen and the devastation that's about to come in my life as a result of this trial? God, why are you waiting so long? God, why are you allowing it to continue so long? And I don't always know why God allows that in our lives, but one thing I know is this that God understands the timing, God knows the timing, God's timing is always on time, and God knows what he has to do in you and I and how long it's going to take to conform us to the likeness of Christ. Let Let me share something with you this morning. Oftentimes, we think that God's primary desire in our lives is to make us happy. A happy meal makes you happy. And God does want us to have joy in our lives. But God is not nearly as concerned in your life and in my life of having us walk on a bed of roses and everything be merry in our lives. God's primary desire in your life and in my life, once we said yes to Jesus, is to conform us to the likeness of Christ. And I've discovered in my own life and as I've talked to different people throughout the years in the trials and circumstances that they have faced, that when they yield themselves to the Lord, to his word, to the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives, there is something that God does in the midst of that that he could do no other way in our lives. And the glory that we share in that is far greater than any immediate deliverance where we might be happy. Again, we have such a temporal perspective, but God has an eternal perspective. Now, let's look at verses 1 to 8 through chapter 41. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. 
And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time, and behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk, and behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all of the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was not one of them who could interpret his dream. A couple of quick points here. He was distressed. We need to recognize that, again, the dreams that he had were from God, and only God could interpret what his dreams were. I think it's, a, it's pretty clearly indicated here that, that the Nile River, if you knew anything of this, was, was a god in the Egyptian prolifera of gods that they worship. And so he's distressed, and now he sees this god that they worship is bringing this devastation on him, and he, and he has this dream, and he's, he's looking for an answer, but none of his chief musicians, none of the sorcerers can interpret his dream. And then winding up, verses 9 to 13, then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants, and he put me in the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, and having a dream with its own interpretation, a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. And when we told him, he interpreted our dreams to give us, to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And so as he interpreted to us, so it came about, I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Probably five years that Joseph had spent in that prison. From the time he was 17 to his age now, about 30 years old, 13 years had passed. We're going to see later in, in the next week that, that finally Joseph is brought to, a, brought to a place of prominence by the sovereign hand of God at just the right time and just the right pace. But we see that 13 years had transpired from the time that he was sold in slavery by his brothers to this moment where God, it seems, finally to deliver him. We ask, why so long? Why so long? Why, why did he have to go through this? Well, there are a lot of things, I, I think, as we see this, that, that God was teaching Joseph in this process. I've heard someone refer to the life of Joseph as Joseph being in the school of love. Because we're going to see later as we get to the end of the chapter where once his brothers who had sold him into slavery had every right to want to have vengeance in their life, but yet he expresses grace and mercy and love to his brothers. It's quite possible that God was teaching Joseph to trust him because God was going to prepare him for that place of prominence. You may be in a situation that you're in a lower state and you're wondering, how long do I have to stay in this state? Let me encourage you, don't try to get out of the state because there's stuff that God's doing in you to prepare you for that next place that he wants to use you in your life. 
He may have been learning the mercies of God and the grace of God. Here's seven responses briefly that I want to give that we might apply in trials in our life. Number one is this, recognize that everything is in God's hands. And I'm just going to give you a couple of references you can look up later. Recognize that everything is in God's hands, meaning that God is all sovereign. There's nothing that comes into your life and in my life that has not first passed through the fingers of God's sovereign hand, and he allows it, and he uses that to conform us to the likeness of Christ again and for his purposes. Number two, put your hope in the Lord. It's easy in the midst of trials to look to try to put our hope in something or someone else. Well, this person has the answer, and you know what? I'm going to get on my social media, and I'm going to start networking to, to try to look for a solution through all of these different individuals. But God is God alone, and if you are a child of God, God wants you to trust him fully, and he will do far more than any network individual or any other thing that you might try to bring about his glory in it. Number three, look to God for answers. Look to God for answers. I find in our culture, particularly in America, we look in a lot of places for answers. Right now, with the situation that is in our nation and the pressure that's there, while there are some things that government can do and enact and legislators can do that can solve certain issues, the one that you and I need to look to more than any political leader is the Lord Almighty himself. You see, because God works through the good and the evil to bring about his purposes and his glory. Amen? He did it in Joseph's life. He'll do it in ours. Number four, Trust the Lord. Actually, this is number five. I'm skipping number four. Trust the Lord no matter how long it may take. James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kind. Trust the Lord in those. Number six, serve God in the meantime. I love this. I love this in Joseph's life. Joseph had every reason not to serve God. I mean, he's unjustly sold by his brothers into slavery. He goes to Potiphar's house and he's falsely accused where he's innocent and he's thrown into prison. He gives interpretation of the dreams and then he's forgotten again. Joseph had every reason just to lay back and say, you know what, I'm going to wait until this thing passes before, until I serve God. The calling and the gifts that God has given to you and I in our lives have not been given that we put them in a timeout because of periods and events in our lives. You see, the greatest thing, I think, is that God can use those while we're going through the midst of that. 
Vanessa, I'm sorry to embarrass you, but it thrilled my heart as you were going through cancer treatment. Every single Sunday, whether it's chemo or not, you're serving in the way that God's called you to serve. And there are numerous others that I watch and I observe in the body that have every reason to stay home, even when it's raining. Lastly, don't give up. I want to share this last verse with you from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. He says, so we do not lose heart, though our outwardly self is wasting away. Can you say amen to that? We don't lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. But this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Resolve today that regardless of what circumstances may come in your life today, tomorrow, next month, next year, five years from now, that you're going to continue on and you're going to follow Christ wherever He leads. Whatever His purposes are in our lives and as we go through these situations, these trials in our life, Determine that wherever he leads, I'll go. He's the master. He's our Lord. He's sovereign king. And he demands that we follow him wherever he goes if we've made that profession that he is, in fact, that in our lives. Father, we pray that as we close this morning, God, and, and sing this chorus in closing, that God, as we sing the words of this song, Lord, that we will indeed sing them with conviction. And God, we trust the power of the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. God, to enable us, to empower us. God, to recognize, God, that, Lord, you are on the throne. And that, God, no matter what we might see in the natural world, God, you are working all things together according to your plan and your purposes and your will. And, God, as citizens of your kingdom, God, we want to honor you and worship you and follow you as our Lord and Master and King of Kings. Zach leads us in this. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.